This podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. Let's face it, all code will eventually have errors. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single easy to use platform, saving you time and money. Enjoy the View listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Enjoy the View when signing up and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ari, and today on our panel, we have Tessa. Hello. (laughs) You were so (laughs) meek and quiet, but also we have Ben. Hello. (laughs) I'm trying not to overwhelm the mic. (laughs) Today, Tessa is calling in because she lives in an area with a massive internet outage. Yay. (laughs) Speaking of things that are terrifying... Scoped slots. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but that strikes fear in my heart. Even though I have successfully used them, my ability to understand them expires after about five minutes or yeah. sometimes five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Just long enough to, you know, painfully use them. So Ben is going to try to help us gain a better, <laughs> less frightening understanding of scope slots. Well, Tessa, what are, what has your experiences been with scope slots so far? I think that says it all. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like every time that I thought I needed to use them, I would try it out. And then I would be like, oh, no, the direction that I want to communicate is the opposite. But it's confusing because the docs are like, so you think you want to communicate this way, but it's actually the other way. Then you should use scope plot. So then I'll try out an example. And then I'll be like, oh, no, no, this this isn't what I need. And then I'll realize, wait, I didn't even need to use plots at all. And then... I, once again, do not have to use scope slots. (laughs) All right. Well, I think before we dive into scope slots, let's start with the broader topic first and let's define slots. So Ari, I'm going to ask you first, how would you explain slots to someone who's never used it before? A slot is like a little pocket that you put on a component so that you can put something in it later. (laughs) (laughs) It's like both. Cute and creepy. I'm like imagining putting some food in there. Like <laughs> it's like a taco. You know, you just gotta fill it up. I think I would describe it pretty pretty similarly. Like I was thinking maybe like a picture frame or something, where the outside of the picture frame you can decorate it however you want, and that's the component that will contain the slot. And then the slot is like where you slip in the picture, so you want something to go there, but it could be any number of different things. And you don't want to make that decision for whoever is going to put the photo in the frame. So That's you just leave that analogy. up to the user. <laughs> yeah, but you can't, like put, you can't put food in a picture frame. So I feel like... You can't. I was going to say, I would contest that. <laughs> People cannot see, but I have food in, my, in the frame of my Zoom background right now. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm so glad that I can't see it. <laughs> for those of you familiar with Parks and Rec, his background right now is Ron Swanson's office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I love the explanations you both offered for slots. So when I think of slots, I think of it basically sort of like Ari was saying, as far as like these sort of placeholders that are waiting for content to come in. So the easiest way to think about this is the layout of a page. And so if you have a component that basically has like your, your header, your main body, and your footer, and let's say a sidebar, 
you don't always know what's coming in, right? When you're going through a website. And so slots allow you to basically like drop in whatever you want into the different areas and it will render accordingly. So, you know, if you're on a blog site, that might be the full article in the main section. If you're on the homepage of like an e-commerce platform, that might be a list of platforms, but it's not responsible for what's inside of it. It's simply just letting you render it out. Does that make sense as far as slots go? Yeah, so it's basically like, here's the stage where your stuff is going to appear. Right. And so when it comes to scope slots, if I were to have... I'd be curious before I define how I see it. In your experience, what is scope slots to you? It's just our test of this time. Let's have something to do with passing data. Somehow you're not supposed to be able to pass data between the, the thing that holds the slot and the thing that goes in the slot, I believe, but scope slot somehow mitigate that. How about you, Ari? My understanding, limited as it may be and flawed as it may be, is that scope slots are when the child component does need some context of where it is and what's happening. So when it actually does need additional data in order to render its content. Am I wrong? Because I could be wrong. <laughs> no, that, that certainly is, I, I think, one of the common use cases for scope slots. I think for this, let's dive into a component a lot of us are familiar with, which is the select dropdown menu. Right. So when you click and you see that there are a bunch of options inside of it, and you can envision if you were to build this dropdown component, that if you were to, you know, like the parent is providing a list of options. And then the options, imagine if, let's say this is an select dropdown of the different frameworks, which are like you choose one of the frameworks. And so the framework includes like the name, it includes the logo, and it includes like when it was created. So those are like the three properties that are included. And so in like a normal component where you might do like either props, you just have a static way this is rendered, right? So like, let's say you have your logo on the left, the framework title, and then the year on the right. And that's like how it's rendered. And so the reason, at least the most common use case I've seen scope slot be useful is when you want to be able to then change the way that the data is being rendered. But scope slots allow you to basically expose the child components data to the parent. So another way of thinking about this is, let me use a library book analogy because I think this analogy actually works well for this. So when we have a library that's full of books, right? You have your V4 and you're looping through your books array. And you V4 every book. And so every book.view component has a book object. And so typically when you're doing like, again, static components, the book already has like a template layout that it's basically using to render out the different information about a book, you know, title, publishing date, author, those sort of things. But when you start to create reusable components, we know that a lot of times when it comes to design and markup, things start to change. And so the book.view component will not always use either the same styles or the same markup that you always expect. But you might want to be able to reuse the book component, but you need to access the data inside of it. Without scope slots, currently, there's no way for the parent to basically reach inside of the book and grab its data. We mentioned that the library is providing like a list of books. And so imagine if one of the steps inside of book.view uh, is to make sure that the title is in title case. So there's a computer property that makes sure the title is like display, like has that title case casing. With scope slots, it allows you to basically expose this property 
so that in the parent, it can change now the book title instead of being wrapped with an H2, which it might be defined as default inside of your book.view component. You can now access this title case title and then wrap it in an H3, for example. Then you can change the way it's being rendered. So one of the things I don't like about scope slots is the name can be confusing at first glance. And that's why I like to think of it more as slot props because you're passing props to a slot that is then exposed at the, like when you're using the slot, that template block. All of a sudden now you have data that you can then access and render inside of it. Hey, does- hang on. Okay. In the first half where you were talking about how the, the parent can reach into the child and, and access its data. So that part I understood. But then once you described it as like the parent providing props to the data, that was like, that's going in the opposite direction of, of what I heard the first time. Because what I heard the first time was the parent can touch the child's data or see the child's data. And then the thing I heard the second time was the parent provides the child's data. So now I'm uh, confused. Sorry. So let me clarify. So correct. The parent can actually reach in and grab the child's data. But the difference being is that the thing with scope slots is you have to actually choose what data is being exposed. It's not exposed by default. So that's why I explained the concept of slot props because on each slot, whichever you're trying to expose, you would actually then define the props that are going to be available to the parent. So it's not like the parent has like full like access to everything inside of the child. The child needs to basically open up a props API to the parent that says, hey, here are some data you can play around with. But until you define those props, just like you would any other component, like it's basically inaccessible. Maybe I'm confused because I'm I'm so used to props always flowing down. So are you saying that the child can show the parent the child's data, but the parent can't mutate it? Like how traditionally a child can't mutate a parent's data? Or are you just saying that the child has to specify which parts of its data the parent can access and mutate? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's give a mental model just quick regarding the scope or when we use slots. So when we're using slots, we define the slot. And in this case, let's use slot names. That way it's a little easier. So again, in our layout example that we talked about earlier, if you're having a header component uh, that has a slot for header, so V slot header, inside of your parent, you would actually do like template V slot header, right? Because you're saying this block of HTML is going to go into my slot name header. So far, so good? Yeah, so the template tag is the thing that has the data that will go into the slot, right? Correct. That will be what's rendered. So we have, yeah, so we have our slot name header. And then inside of our parent, we have our template vslot colon header. And everything inside Mm -hmm. of that template will go inside of slot name header. Okay, so that's our mental Mm -hmm. model right now. And so when you use scope slots, what you're doing is you're exposing props on your slot. So your slot name header inside of your child can then expose things like title, author, whatever, whatever data you choose to. So these can be computer properties. These can be like, you're just exposing data. And what you're giving is you're giving the template block access to those props. But the key here, and this is why it's called scope slots, is only the template block gets access to it. It doesn't get like merged into the broader like parents data instance. It's just inside that template block. 
point. So the template that eventually populates the slot gets access to data from the component that contains the slot tag. Right. And only the props you define on that slot. So if slot name header contains a title prop, that title prop will be exposed to the template v slot header. And then that's why you see that syntax v slot colon header equals double quotation marks like slot props is because that's what's allowing you to expose the props that were given to you using the slot element inside of the child. So basically, scope slots allow the thing that goes in the slot, so in the library example of the book, mm-hmm. to access data from the thing that goes around the slot, in this case, the library, so the book can access data from the library? Other way around. So, Oh my God. I know, I know. This is why, this is, why this is hard. Let me just do an overview to, to help with this. So slots are traditionally top-down. The parent is providing the child something to render, right? So that's like a, a top-down analogy. But Wait, still- but which, which one is the parent and which one is the child in this case? Is the thing with the slot tag the parent or is the thing with the template tag the parent? Ah, okay. So that's, that's where... She, okay, so let me clarify that. So let's go to our library book example. So the library is the parent, right? You're in library.view. This is your file, your single file component. And you've imported mm-hmm. book.view and you're using it inside of the template. So library.view, we're going to call the parent component going forward. And then mm-hmm. our child component is book.view. So when we use traditional slots, so let's say inside of our book, we have a slot for title, right? Where the title will be rendered. Mm-hmm. So again, let's say in this slot title, we are currently wrapping our book title in an H2. That's what like, if you don't make any changes, it's always an H2. Mm-hmm. And so the use case for this is that what happens when you want to wrap the, the title using like an H3 with a class of custom book title? You could certainly like customize this with a bunch of props and stuff. But one way you can do this is to allow... Um, basically, so the book.view component will say, inside of my slot title, I'm going to expose my title data. So from a coding perspective, you're going to see slot name equals title. So that we just named our title. And then as an attribute, we would say vbind title equals book.title. So we have a prop on an attribute on our slot right now. So right now, we're still currently in book.view. So far, so good? Uh, yeah, so to recap, we're exposing the title on the slot in the book yes, component. Yes, correct. Now, when we go back to library.view, when we're using our book component, we can then, when we open a template tag inside of it and give it that vslot directive and giving it the argument of title, when we basically expose our slot prop, so you'll see that vslot title equals and then is commonly seen with like the destructuring curly brace because slot props contains all the attributes that are coming from the slots. So in this case, it will get access to the title prop that we just defined in book.view, which we can now use inside of this template, this template vslot title. And now we can restructure the rendering of it however we want. It's a lot easier with diagrams. Right, so library can restyle the title in book.view. Correct. It's particularly useful. Again, this is a pretty simplistic example. 
given that like you might be like, oh, well, then just pass like props to do this. But in the event you need to actually reconfigure the layout of something, this is super useful just because Damien's view multi-select is a great example of this where you're getting a series of options, but every user might be laying out each option completely differently. And so scope slots simply allow you to basically expose data to when the component is used so that you can rearrange it as you will. But again, the part that everyone gets hung up on, which is why it's it should give a concept, is that it's really primarily for rendering. You're not using it in like a programmatic way otherwise, if that makes sense. So in my head, I'm picturing that book.view has like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast is like the one that I want to style differently. Mm-hmm. But then in library.view, all I see is the text is a string Beauty and the Beast. So like, how do I restyle it with that string? Or am I, is it, is it showing me something else there? Yeah. So in that case, you would basically, in your, in your in library.view, as you're looping through each book, you would go like, you know, if the book title is Beauty and the Beast, then use this template tag where title has been exposed through scope slots. And then you can now like restyle it accordingly. And when I say styling, I'm, I'm referring to CSS or maybe a little bit of text formatting. But the thing that people always mess up, because again, the mental model people are thinking is that the parent now can access the child's instances data. They think that then they can call it in like a method or something. like this.book.scopeslots.title equals Beauty and the Beast. Like, and to like do something like programmatic inside the parent's instance. But there's a reason why this entire time kept it to just a template because that's basically where it's meant to be kept to. It's scoped only to the template block that the scope slots is using. Okay, so the parent can see the child's data, but only in the template and not in the script tag. Correct. So that part I get. And I, I understand now that the parent can see what, that library can see what book's title is. I don't understand how library can alter the markup of the title in the book. Like, how does it say style that one differently? Yeah. So the difference here being that, so in slots, we know that when we defined HTML in between a slot, that is always the default thing that's rendered out. And so when you have a template block with the vslot argument, it'll basically replace whatever's in there with what's inside of template. So it's a combination of using default slot content strategy with an exposed scope slot data properties so that in the event someone wants to change something, it will automatically replace the default slot content. Oh, okay. I I think I see now. So basically, wait, do I see? In library, I have my book component tag. And then inside Mm -hmm. there, I put a template tag that assigns my special book styling to the slot B if the book is Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. I get it. Ari, are you alive? Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) I think what it's, it's hard, at least when I've seen scope slots starts to get really convoluted is when people try to expose like functions and events and they try to like basically create this like loop between the parent and child not like understanding that at least the clearest use case when it comes to scope slots is you have 
data you want to expose to the HTML and you want to like do things with that to customize it. Beyond that, I think if you're trying to echo like functions and events and stuff, it's almost like you should really revert to the traditional like props down events up. Like there should be a different, like you shouldn't be trying to use scope slots to escape the traditional data model we have for managing parent-child relationships. Yeah, but sometimes you have to. I'm just saying. Yes, I, I'm sure <laughs> you do. And so there, I know that people have come up with lots of different hacks around it. Yeah, I think that's where it's tricky is when people think scope slots is just like, like this free reign of like accessing child stuff when there are constraints on it for a reason. And then trying to respect those constraints would make people's lives a little easier. But I, I know there are real case scenarios for going beyond that use case. The most complex use case for scope slots I ever came across was a component that it was basically a, a layout template for items that were similar in that like they had this most of the same type of information, but mm-hmm. slightly different. And some instances of the component would have things that other instances didn't. And in this particular case, there was a, a form that was conditionally rendered by a button within the component. <laughs> and then you needed to, you know, like hide the form after the person had submitted it. Mm-hmm. But the form was its own component. So trying to communicate back to the parent that it needed to stop showing <laughs> the standalone form that had just rendered inside of it was a nightmare, but I got it. <laughs> and also the parent needed to tell the form child what it needed to do on submit. So I passed a function down mm-hmm. and then event up to let it know that it needed to close it. Inside of the scope slot. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Actually, that, that's a very clean approach. I think you're modeling it that way. I've just seen people it just try made my to... head hurt really bad trying <laughs> to figure out that that was what I needed to do. <laughs> like, I wanted to cry on that one. If I'm understanding correctly, though, it sounds like the scope slot part is still sticking to the paradigm that's been described. And the rest is just the normal props down, events up. I would say as much yeah. as humanly possible. Like it, it mostly was, but ha- like figuring out how to get the function in to the form was the part that made my head hurt really bad. And then finally realizing that, yeah, I could just do an event emitted from the form and listen in the, parent. the parent. Yeah. Then I was like, oh, yeah, okay, duh. Because <laughs> like, yeah, in my head, because like scope slots seem like this like very different thing, mm-hmm. like I was making it a lot harder than it needed to be. Yeah. Th- so your example there is a great illustration of how you can still respect the props down events up, even though, again, there's a little bit of a counterintuitiveness of it. And so just to clarify for the listeners, what I was referring to specifically is, again, so when we use reusable components, people eventually find some edge case where like, and again, let's go back to our library book example. You want to use a computed property in library.view to do something different to the book title. That's where people get all sorts of starting mixed up. Like they'll start like trying to expose it to like the script tag somehow by like programmatically looking for things. And so the moment you find yourself really contorting yourself to like get access to the data inside of script, there's probably a better way to be managing this, whether it's through Vuex or just additional events up 
model. Just just be careful of trying to force data or out of scopes. <laughs> Let's face it, your code is going to have errors. Even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single easy to use platform, saving you time and cash. Honey Badger monitors and sends error alerts in real time with all of the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. Enjoy the View listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Enjoy the View when signing up and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. So to clarify, is it possible but just ill-advised or is it not possible to access the scope plot data in the script tag? As far as I'm aware, it should not be possible. I'm sure technically there's a way to hack around it as far as like fetching like a ref or diving programmatically into it. But it, it basically the reason why it's, I would say, taboo to do this is because at this point, you're mixing up your concerns now. Because if the parent has to contain logic to manipulate the child's instance, like that stuff should just straight up live inside of the child then. There's no, like, if you're trying to do that, you're trying to like mix up concerns basically. And so as much as humanly possible to keep them separate is basically a sort of, yeah, my recommendation. And, and what again, why it's called scope slots is because it's intended to be scoped to when the child is being used and not to pollute the rest of the parent component. Okay, but you haven't lived until you have done nested slots. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, think, I think that's when it starts to get really convoluted is when you try to use scope slots with a reusable component inside of another reusable component. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Yes, I, I will say that I am in favor of creating more components rather than the nesting components. <laughs> yeah, reusability when it comes to components can get very hairy, as Ari has mentioned, once you start things get nested in loops and then, oh, it's fun, fun, fun. I'm literally looking at one where a slot has a V4 and then that V4 component also has a slot inside it. (laughs) (laughs) But like it worked because like essentially in this case, it's lists, but Mm -hmm. each list had slightly different content, Mm -hmm. but all the lists need to live together. So it works. (laughs) <laughs> I just finally got to use one that has only lived in my experimental repo for a while where like parent needs its grandchild and needs to pass a slot to its grandchild, but there's like another component in between. So it passes the slot content to the parent who passes the slot content to the child and they're all named the same thing. And the funniest part is it all works, but not it doesn't work if the parent uses the hashtag shorthand. It only works with the B slot syntax. What? Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. But to go back to what you were saying, Ben, like I don't really understand the use cases that 
you're saying some people try to do but won't work. So I'm just going to tell you what my takeaway is and you tell me if it's right or wrong. Okay. Basically, I'm a parent and I have like a ton of kids. Like I'm the Von Trapp guy, whatever his name is. And I have my kids. <laughs> and they're all responsible for dressing themselves. But I decide one day that I want to decide how one of my children is dressed. So I change their outfit for the day. And that child is like my scope slot child. And everybody else is just like a regular child or a regular slot, I guess. Or using that same analogy, you want to change the way they dress. And so what happens is the children can all bring out, say, bring out their wardrobe and say, here, here are all my shirts. Here are all my pants. And then you as the parent can go, I would prefer to use this one and this one. And so the parent then gets to choose what the child wears in each one and be like, I'm going to combine this one and this one or omit this one. Wait, now I'm confused again. So are you just saying that in terms of like the child has to specify to the parent, you can pick my shirt? Or are you saying that the parent can only, not only can the parent only pick from discrete types of clothing, but also there's like a limited set of like that type of clothing that the parent can choose from? Yeah. So to sort of reiterate this concept, when using scope slots, the child has to expose the data it wants to expose through slot props. So unless you explicitly define the data you want to expose, the parent cannot do anything. So in the case of the Von Trapp example, unless the kids expose what clothes that is available, you as a parent cannot just change their clothes un- like without their consent, basically. You have to be like, here, parent, here is my wardrobe, and then you can do something with it. But like going back to the book example, for a moment, like, mm-hmm. was the book saying you can either choose the H2 title or the fancy H3 title? Or were they just saying, here's the title and it's usually H2? And then the parent is like, well, I want this one to be a fancy H3. The second one, you expose the title and then the parent does whatever they want with that title prop. Okay. So then in the Von Trapp example, it's more like the child is like, you can pick what shirt I wear. And then the parent can get a shirt from anywhere. Like they could order one from Amazon or something. And be like, here's a new shirt. Sure. <laughs> it's not like they can only pick from the existing shirts that the child already has. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. I hope that was helpful to someone besides me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the key thing being that the child has to say what is basically open to change. Right. So practicing practicing drawing good boundaries, which is, you know, something that mm-hmm. I can always get better at too. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what makes all component design hard, to be honest, is drawing those boundaries and being careful where there is overlap of concerns. I still don't know if I would have inferred all of that from the name scope slots, though. Like, I know you say that's why they're called scope slots, and I sort of get it, but I feel like (laughs) for me, it's like such a big stretch. That's why, even though, again, I tend to refer to them as slot props rather than scope slots, just because people are already familiar with the concept of props, you know, when using components. So the idea of passing props to a slot that then can be accessed in the template, I think is a much easier mental model when it comes to people thinking about this. But then then you always have to put that big caveat that like the prop only goes to the template, hence the word scoped. I guess, but maybe it's like, it's confusing also because who's using the component that has the slot? So like, to me, it almost feels like slot reverse props, but then I don't know if I have it backwards again, but it feels like, you know, the child is passing it to the parent, which then if I think of it as a prop would imply the opposite. 
So remember, it's that the slot is passing the props and that the template is accessing it. So that's why it's not a reverse prop because the slot is receiving the props. The yeah. book is receiving the prop. Well, so the book slot. So on your slot tag, you would define the attributes you want to expose at the template block. At the template block in the Being library. Used in the parent. So that's why it's a little bit of a mind fork. Because you are technically still going down. <laughs> I'm all out of fork then. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I have some spoons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of spoons. Wait, okay. So, but like the, so the data is coming from the parent and going into the book, but then the slot is telling the parent to decide the rendering of the data that's originally from the parent. Or maybe, something. Maybe that's why this is confusing then. Let's honestly, let's just I mean, yeah. Can I Ari, say why yes. like where I always get tripped up? I always get tripped up in sort of like the the difference in mental model that you have to make when you're writing the component that contains the slots versus when you're using that component. There's like a, a weird mental shift that I really struggle with. Because I'm generally putting another component in that slot. So really, if I'm using the slotted component, I'm trying to put grandchildren in. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I always get like, so like, because you know, generally we're always like parent, child, parent, child, but really I'm trying to pass something to the grandchild of the slotted. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, where, when I'm using the slotted component, my concern is I want the grandchild to do something, but I have to go through my child to spoil the grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> and so to clarify the, the sound mental- of music too. <laughs> <laughs> and so to clarify the mental model you were referring to, Tessa, you're you're right to an extent that in that model you were referring to like the library to the book. You're like, well, technically library actually does have all the book properties. You'd actually be hundred percent right. So in this, in this case, I think it'd be better to assume that, let's just say you have, again, imagine if you had static content inside of book.view. That thing is locked away. So if we have like a hard-coded value inside of book.view that is not being looped through, then the scope slots, are that's where the power is. It allows you to expose those things that parent does not have access to. And maybe that's a misstep on my part for that mental model because it does feel like the parent already has access to the data. But the key is to expose data from the child. Does that help to clarify that? I mean, then it still seems like the child is sending data to the parent. But now that I said it, I feel like you're going to be like, no, it's the opposite of that. No, no, no. So it's, it's exposing data to the parent. You're cr- correct in the sense that like it can now use it to shape the HTML as it chooses but only within the template block. So, so why, why isn't that a reverse prop then? Because usually the parent exposes data to the child, no? In that regard, I think to Ari's point, if you think of it as the parent-child, it does feel like a reverse prop. But if you think of the template, because it's inside of the book.view component we're using it, as a grandchild, it's like straight down. So to be honest, I think... Oh, it, this which, is Back to the Future 3. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, it just depends on what time travel theory you subscribe to, you know, whether yeah. it's... You know, once you put your time body, is linear okay. or circular. No. 
Are there multiple branches? Or like Futurama. I'm my own grandpa. Got it. Okay. Much easier with diagrams, I promise. <laughs> so it's really more like Schrodinger's plot or something. You don't know whether it's the grandchild or the parent until you open the box or something. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of get it now, but I'm also like, <laughs> well... Yeah, so theoretically, if you didn't have access to the source code, you would be like B slot equals slot props. And you can technically print out the slot props to expose what's inside of it. Because again, all the all the props you define on the slot itself get aggregated into a single object. So that is the way you would expose it without like having access to the source code, assuming you had like some reusable component library that didn't have good documentation for whatever reason. That never happens. Yeah, you know, everyone has great docs. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the accessing accessing slot data in in the JavaScript, actually, because I recently ran into a bug. So before we started recording, I was telling Ari and Dan about how I have a ticket currently to render some kind of list, but sometimes the list has clickable icons, and so a suggestion was made to use goat slots, and they didn't know whether goat slots would be the way to go versus slots. And so to my initial question here of why wouldn't a non-scoped normal slot work, it seems like it's because if I v4 through the list in the child, from the parent that's passing the template that will go into the slot in the child, I would have no way of knowing what variable name I assign to each item in the list in the child unless I pass that variable name to the parent through scope slot to be like, here's what I'm calling each list item. And looking at the updated scope plot docs, it looks like there's a similar example there, which is really great. Another pickle I've been having there is basically this list lets you decide how, what order things show up in, in another component. And when you save the list, the component that other component gets the updated data through Vuex, but it doesn't refresh its view. And I looked at that component. This was right when my internet died. So I have no way of, of looking into this further right now. But right when I looked at that component, I saw that it was getting its data from dollar sign slots.default, which I assume is the default, whatever gets passed to the default slot. So is dollar sign slots not reactive and or like are children not reactive does it have to be observed in some kind of deep way like what kind of caveat do we have to be aware of when we're working with slots in the javascript part of the single file component so tessa when you're saying that they're trying to watch something in the this dot dollar sign slots they're watching you said the content of the list I think so. So it seems like basically they are massaging the data that's coming in through the slot or something. So it it takes what's coming in on dollar sign slots dot default, and then it mutates that data a little bit and then outputs that. So I'm not oh. sure if yeah, I don't know if this is an issue where it's like it's not watching to the level of whether default on dollar sign slots changes or if maybe dollar sign slots is not reactive or something. Cause I know, for example, with refs, like refs are not reactive, right? So I was like, could this be similar to that or is it a different issue? I'm just surprised they're mutating the slots directly like that, that as opposed feels wrong. to. 
Yeah, so basically, I think what we're doing is we're deciding how to paginate the data based on like how much of the data or like how many pages worth of data come in through the slot. So we're using the computed property to be like, this is how much of the slot data to show per page. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because I would think you would want to manage this almost at like a, I don't know, like a larger level because you're watching, I don't know. But you're saying that the this.slots.default doesn't seem to change because this is a computed property that's returning this array, right? Yeah, and the the data that the component is getting is definitely correct. So I would I would have thought that it would have changed and my internet cut out right at the point where I was trying to print out this dot dollar sign slots and this dot dollar sign slots dot default. So I was just curious if maybe the API reference or something mentioned whether dollar sign slots was reactive or not, or if it's like a problem of not watching deeply enough or something like that. As far as I'm aware, there's nothing specific about the slots react dollar sign slots reactivity in the docs. So I would assume that it's being updated correctly. And so there's nothing based on the way you're describing the code. It should not work because your slot chunks computer property should be returning a new array. So I know that working with reactive arrays is a tricky thing in view, but I don't think this is a case for that because you're returning a new array okay. that's calculated based on chunk. Yeah, I would guess that if it was a dollar sign, if dollar sign slots were not reactive, then anything with a slot component wouldn't update as expected. So it must it must just be like a nested object issue probably rather than like mm-hmm. dollar sign slots having similar caveats to dollar sign refs. That'd be my initial guess. Cool. Go team. We Sherlock Holmes it. <laughs> Hi, listeners. We bring you this brief interruption from Tessa of the Future, where there is internet. So it turns out there's an old GitHub issue in which Torsten claims that dollar sign slot was ostensibly never reactive and probably will never be reactive in the future. So we've opened a PR to add this info to the doc. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this episode, that tidbit will be there. Cool. Yeah, I know we scope slots is a tricky topic. Um, we've talked a lot about and tried different analogies to verbalize this in a way. So hopefully our intestine was a little bit more... I don't know. Hope you feel like you understand it a little bit better than before. I mean, at minimum, I know like the one use case now where I would need to use scope slots, which is like when I want to change an aspect of my child's appearance. Restructuring markdown. I think it's the easiest one to keep in mind. Well, I think maybe it's time to wrap it on up. Does anyone have any final thoughts on the scope slots they'd like to share? <laughs> okay, good. No one. <laughs> All right, let's move on to picks. Ben, would you like to go first so that no one steals your picks? Sure. (laughs) My first pick for this week is a game on Steam called Little Woods. And so the premise of this game is actually, it's great. So think like Stardew Valley where it's super relaxing. And the premise is you are uh, the hero and you've just saved the world, but now you need to help the town rebuild. And so in this case, it's super relaxing because rather than things being calculated in real time, it's based on action. 
And a lot of the things that you'd have to manage in the past, like inventory or like switching tools, that's all just kind of taken care of for you. And so it's just kind of like happy-go-lucky game where you, you, know, you form relationships with the town that you, you saved the world already. And you just help. To, it, it really allows for creativity. Really, really cute game. Totally recommend it if you're looking for something relaxing to do. And oh, for those who played Animal Crossings, you get landscaping right out the bat. None of this waiting till the end of the game after you've paid like millions of bells to the people extorting you. But <laughs> anyways. Okay, but the real question is, can you landscape more than one foot at a time? Yes, oh, it's like it's a it's on the PC, so you can click and you can move. You can create stairs. You can ah, oh, it's so great. Move trees around, rocks. Oh, it's so good, so relaxing. So that's that's yeah, my first pick. Too. My second pick for this week is a weighted blanket by Barabi. I am officially a weighted blanket convert. Absolutely has changed the way, at least for me, sleeping. So I'm just excited about this. As um, Tessa was about the cleaning product, it was like extravaganza. I can't remember now. <laughs> Change the way. <laughs> but so the Barabi weighted blanket, what's different about, you might've heard like other people talk about like gravity blankets. A lot of times these weighted blankets are made up like using beads, like weighted beads in order to like keep the weight down. But it has issues with distribution and washing and drying because eventually like things wear out and then the beads fall out. But Barabi is different because it's really just like basically really heavy wool. It's just yarn. So you don't have any of those problems. And they're, I think they're hand-knit and everything. So they're gorgeous. Highly, highly, highly recommended. So those are my two picks for this week. I mean, not to nitpick, but isn't wool also hard to wash? Not wool. I, I think there's a cotton one and a... Gosh, I forgot. There's another fabric for like people who like are warm sleepers. So sorry, it's not mm-hmm. wool. It's, just, it's a yarn. The actual material oh, okay. you can find out more about on Bear B. But yeah, super highly recommended. Okay. Uh, Tessa, do you have any picks for us this week? Yes. My first pick is drawing app. So I had a couple of drawing side projects that I could do recently. So I was really heavily using Procreate and I finally had enough. So I tried out a bunch of other options. And I also have some old favorites for Android as well. So I'll link my recommendations in the show notes. And my second pick is the second season of Umbrella Academy, which is back on Netflix. I've almost gone through the whole season now. And if there's things that annoyed you about the first season, like there were for me, then chances are they're going to be there in the second season. And it is still like a little bit over the top in terms of style stylization, but that's also what I enjoy or what's kind of novel about it is getting to see more different camera angles to your average television show or sitcom like they're a little bit more creative about it and so it's a nice change of state yes that means it's my turn cool i guess i'll continue on the theme of bedding (laughs) so i have been using the same type of sheets since i was um in college so over a decade we'll just leave it at that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but the reason i I first bought these sheets is because they were like the cheapest ones at bed bath and beyond but I fell in love with them. So they're called pure beach as in like a beach tree. So B E E C H. And they come in either Jersey knit or a sateen finish. Originally I was a big fan of the Jersey knit, but now I really am a huge fan of the sateen, but they are cool to the touch when you first get in bed. So not the best for winter, but fabulous for summer, (laughs) but they're just, they're super soft and they're 
not overly expensive. Yeah. So I know what, what sheets I sleep on. So don't be creepy about that. (laughs) (laughs) And my second pick is a movie called it's a disaster. Unfortunately right now I can't remember what streaming service it was on, but it's essentially a brunch party and things outside of their control mean that they're trapped in a house together for a, a while and how they end up coping with that as friends and also a stranger that one of them brought as a date. The <laughs> cast is great. David Cross, Julia Stiles. I'm blanking on who else was in it, but other people that were cool were also in it. But yeah, I highly recommend that. It's fun and also pretty appropriate for the time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> just a little. Oh, yeah. All right. And I guess that means that is it for this week. So until next week, enjoy the view. <laughs>